You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Welcome, everybody, to Skype a Scientist Live. Just as a heads up, we are running these about once a day, Monday through Friday-ish, during this uh, delightful quarantine time that we're all in. Sarah McAnulty's just starting up a video live stream. She's the executive director of the nonprofit Skype a Scientist. Generally, we match up scientists with classrooms and other groups to chat about science and generally make science accessible for as many people as possible and make people feel as welcome in science as we can. The coronavirus pandemic has slowed down a lot of businesses. But Skype a Scientist? saw a massive spike in its audience over the past couple of weeks as schools have closed and more and more people stay home. Before, we may have had like 20 people show up to a live stream, um, and now we have like over 500 showing up every live stream, which has been amazing. Plus, Sarah says they've had a similar boom in scientists reaching out to lead the live sessions. All right, so I'm a paleontologist, and I'm so excited to be here today. First, this is the first human interaction I've had in about a week. So I'm real sorry if I'm really excited, but haven't talked to anybody in a long time outside my house. So, um, And these days, the questions the scientists are getting are just as silly and insightful as ever. Like, do rats fart? I actually don't know. That's a good question. I don't know if they fart. I do know that they eat their own poop, but I don't know if they fart. How does bacteria survive inside a squid? When the squid are babies, they don't have any beneficial bacteria inside them, so they actually get them from the seawater. There's a special organ inside And, of course, have you ever eaten the bear? Have you eaten the bear? I don't know how to answer that question, but no, I have never eaten a bear, but I watched the bear eat. I'm Maddie Sofia. Today on Shortwave from NPR, finding scientific joy in the middle of a pandemic how one group is bringing science to kids out of school and confronting stereotypes about scientists at the same time. Sarah's a scientist herself. She does very cool squid stuff, by the way. And she felt like there was this disconnect between scientists and the public. So she thought, well, okay, let's bring them together. But I noticed that there wasn't a super easy way for scientists to get uh, in touch with the public, sort of in a way that uh, was easy for them and fit into their schedules. But hey, it's the 21st century. That's what technology is for. And so I wanted to sort of have this streamlined way uh, to get scientists talking with non-scientists just to give people the opportunity uh, to meet a scientist. Now, the setup's pretty straightforward. You're a teacher and you want to teach your kids about squids? Scroll through and find a squid scientist and request them. Don't have a specific topic in mind? That's cool, too. Just pick something more general, like biologist. Fill out the form, and boom, you got yourself a scientist. So when you first started Skype a Scientist, part of your motivation was to clear up some misconceptions that people might have about scientists, like who they are and and what they do and what they're like. So... What did you guys want people to know about scientists? I really wanted to show people the diversity of scientists. I think we really get this kind of uh, oversimplified view of who scientists are, how we behave, what we're interested in outside of science in TV and movies. I mean, you get this pretty much 
almost all white guys, all straight people, all, um, yeah, just white guys that are socially awkward with varying levels of social skill. And so we know that scientists are just as varied as any other group of people. And so it's not necessarily that I want to say scientists aren't like this. It's like scientists aren't only this. Scientists are all of these different uh, ways of being. And so in our program, we also ask uh, our teachers if over half of their students are from an underrepresented group in STEM so that we can match them up with a scientist from that group, because we really want to show everybody that there's a place for everyone in science. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, because I think we know now, like scientifically, we have data that suggests that when kids see people that look like them doing science, they can imagine growing up to be scientists too. So you really build that idea uh, into the scientists that you pair with the classrooms. Yeah, absolutely. We want to give as many students as possible a window into science that they can relate to. Yeah, yeah. And okay, speaking of relating, I want to play a clip for you of microbiologist Ruth Eisenberg. She's reading a question submitted in a live chat. So the question is, Is there any advice that I would give to a young student right now that might show interest in becoming a scientist from a small town? Okay, perfect. So I actually come from a pretty small town where not a lot of people went to college in general. So um, if you have an interest in science now, I would say keep that passion alive. See if you can get involved in science activities like presentations or anything that the community can participate in. A lot of colleges will offer. And I, I really like that because it sounds like, you know, the scientist herself would have loved to have that program when she was a kid. Is that something that you hear from the scientists who do these calls? That that's part of why they participate in this? Yeah, totally. I hear that all the time. Yeah. So a lot of scientists that are now adults working in science never really saw people like them um, when they were growing up. And so I think that's one of the reasons scientists are so enthusiastic about participating in this program, because they wish they had something like it when they were young. Yeah. No, I mean, I do. <laughs> don't, don't you? I mean, yeah, that's probably why you made it, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I remember the first time I met a lady scientist who specifically did the thing that I wanted to do. And that like that was a transformative moment, I think. Yeah, I hadn't even met a white woman scientist until I was, I think, a sophomore in college. Um, Even in my department, I was studying marine science and we had zero female professors (laughs) at all. So, I mean, and that's as a white woman. So imagine how much worse it is for so many other other folks. It's just like, yeah, anything that we can do to show people uh, how welcome they can be in science, the better. What other kinds of feedback do you get from scientists, from teachers, from kids? We've gotten a lot of uh, feedback that I didn't necessarily expect to get. So, for example, um, our scientists will say that when they talk to people who have never really thought about their area of science before, that they'll have these questions that are like, oh, my God, why have I not thought of it that way? You kind of get these like totally cool uh, things that are like will blow the mind off somebody who's been studying this stuff for 20 years. Well, can I can we talk about that? Because that's a point that. When, when I think when people think about scientists doing outreach, they really think that the benefit is only for the person that they're trying to reach out to. But in reality, you get these people who haven't been thinking the same way that all the other academics that you've been surrounded with are thinking. And you can get like really good ideas about your own science from having those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. A, a person who hasn't been taught to think in the exact rigid way that your field thinks 
having that kind of like naive insight can be totally amazing. It's like, it's definitely not, it's a two way street. Um, And that's one of the great reasons to have conversations with people and not just deliver information at them. A lot of really awesome stuff can come from those conversations. Yeah. So what has surprised you the most since launching this project? So many things have surprised me that it's kind of hard to pin it down. I think uh, when scientists participate and they get uh, like a bunch of fourth graders so like electrically enthusiastic about what they're hearing about, that really reminds scientists how cool their jobs are. Because if when you're working on a grant and you're reviewing other people's papers and you're trying to get your own work published, it can kind of disillusion you on how totally cool our jobs are. And then when you have like a fourth grader just like beside herself shaking about hearing about your squid or your termites or whatever you're studying, it can be a real like just awesome reminder uh, and get you excited to go back to the lab the next day. So that's been amazing. So I have kind of a bigger question for you. What does it tell you that people have this much interest in talking to, you know, real live scientists over video chat? I think people are just really thirsty for authenticity today. I mean, I think you get so many things kind of filtered through um, various forms of, of media, I guess. And they're just, they just want something real. I feel like a lot of people just want to see um, partially like behind the curtain of how things are really being done and just want something uh, directly from the source. And so I think that that's why our program has been so super successful, because we get people direct access to the science right as we're learning that information. Sarah McAnulty is the executive director of the nonprofit Skype a Scientist. You can find out more about their live sessions, how to sign up, all that jazz at skypeascientist.com. We'll put a link in our episode notes, too. This episode was produced by Rebecca Ramirez and edited by Viet Le. Special thanks to Emily Vaughn for her fact-checking and production help. I'm Maddie Sofia, and this is Shortwave from NPR. <laughs>